0: Malcolm Holmline is, of course, Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations, joins us Friday morning for the weekly update here at JM in the AM. Mr. Holmline, welcome back to JM in the AM.
1: Thank you. Good morning. And mazal tov to you. May everybody have only some achot, and we had wonderful ones this week, concluding this Shabbos, uh, with the Shabbos, Shabbat, brachot, and... Really, very exciting,
0: unbelievable. Nobody even thought you're old enough to have a grandchild get married and look it's at my this. wife's screenshot. Ah, now we yeah. understand. Thank Explain you, <laughs> thank you for clearing that up. Um, and, my, and my sister is making a bar mitzvah for her grandson this Shabbos. Could you imagine the no, time marches on, doesn't it, Malcolm? That's what they say. It certainly does. All right, I was I was going to ask you to help me remember a couple of people, uh, actually a couple of uh, uh, things at the beginning of. This segment. First of all, hard to believe today, the 21st of December, 30 years ago, the uh, Pan Am 103 Lockerbie bombing. uh, Hard to believe it's 30 years, number one. And uh, that was a terrorist attack that eventually Gaddafi, Muammar Gaddafi, took responsibility for. Uh, And uh, sometimes as we travel through the air, like we did this week and you do practically every day, uh, we sometimes forget how vulnerable. Uh, air travel can be, and that was an episode that really had a tremendous amount of influence in the world of uh, of safety on airplanes and flights in general. So 30 years
1: later, hard to believe. And and the uh, warnings of, by what happened in, um, in London at the airport where they had to shut it down for 36 hours, one of the busiest airports in the world, perhaps the busiest, and at the, one of the m- most heavily traveled weekends in the, of the year, because of drones flying nearby, that the dangers today are in many respects greater. You have uh, missiles in the hands of more people. you have um, and and to remember the technology that Israel developed, which is protecting aircraft today, and the the potential though is there, and why the efforts against uh, the terrorists has to be sustained. you know when when the the Pan Am flight went down. And we lost uh, good friends on that flight. Uh, You know, the world was skeptical about uh, terrorism and whether it could be done and, uh, you know, certainly about the connection to Gaddafi.
0: And the other skepticism was, uh, I was unaware until I read the Wikipedia article, there were two really strong warnings about uh, uh, the potential of a Pan Am flight having a bomb aboard. One called the Helsinki warning and one called the PLO warning, both within days of the actual bombing, and sometimes, very often, I think we saw that by nine eleven in a way as well. Sometimes we don't heed those warnings or don't take them seriously. Obviously, we've learned that it's a good idea to, in fact, take them seriously.
1: And yet there are warnings, and there are so many every day that it's almost impossible. I mean, everything can come to a standstill. Right. If uh, you know, but, but heeding them and at least exploring them and getting to the source of them is what's
0: important. And help me remember. <clears throat> excuse me. Help me remember Rona Ramon, who's described as a public activist STEM influencer, supporter of the education and advancement of youth in Israel, the widow of Colonel Ilan Ramon, the first Israeli astronaut who died in the space shuttle Columbia disaster as it reentered Earth and Earth's uh, atmosphere in 2003. She was the mother of Captain Asaf Ramon, a fighter pilot in the Israeli Air Force who was killed in a training accident in 2009. After the death of her husband and son, she established the Ramon Foundation which works with Israeli children with academic excellence to pursue their dreams. And, of course, she passes away this week at the age of 54. Uh, it, it's a, it's unbelievable. A family responsible, and, by the way, other children in the Air Force and other areas of Israeli military, uh, a, you know, a family that is so blessed by what they're able to do and what they're able to accomplish and to fulfill certain dreams. And yet, of course, these tragedies uh, struck uh, struck them so close to home, and now she passes away at a very early age. So, Yet, yet another Israeli family with that with that mix with that mix of tremendous accomplishment
1: and terrible pain. And that family in particular, I, I met Mrs. Ramon, as I met her, her husband, who was one of the heroes of Israel, an astronaut killed in the um, explosion, uh, and the son who was killed in a training accident, and insisted on on flying and and being involved, and in she gave permission for it. And uh, I mean, in her case. It was uh, it was an illness, but you think yeah. what this family has gone through, and it's, it's very sad to see it at such a young age. And she had become a campaigner, a very important voice in Israel, a positive voice, and uh, I think everybody should should take note of it.
0: And um, two things, didn't you? I, I believe you had told us that uh, Elon Ramon himself, meaning the astronaut who was killed in two thousand three, in the space shuttle disaster. And he was part of the Iraq nuclear reactor team that went in. am I correct, that went into bomb OSI Iraq at that point? In yes,
1: the, I think he was.
0: Yeah. And if I'm not mistaken, he was the only single member and therefore was assigned to ha- right, to be in the most difficult and most vulnerable position uh, at his insistence, if I'm not mistaken. I mean, we're talking about people that are you know on a different level when it comes to these things. And uh, the other thing was, and I'm in the middle of, uh, of Charles Krauthammer's final book, the one compiled by his son after his death. And he describes the difference between Challenger and Columbia, and I just I want to point this out because I thought it was so interesting that with the Challenger disaster they were on their way uh, to fulfill this dream, with Columbia they were on the way back after having fulfilled their mission and their dream, and that is why the reaction to the two episodes were so different, as only he of course can explain it. So I just wanted to point that out. I think some of our listeners would find it interesting if, in fact, uh, they would follow up and uh, and read that part of his book um australia has recognized jerusalem as the capital of israel but the embassy will remain in tel aviv why that split
1: they recognized west jerusalem they didn't recognize all of jerusalem and um they did establish or establishing and like the czech republic did in a jerusalem house Uh, which will serve for various functions that an embassy might. And they said that this is a precursor to moving uh, the embassy. But they came under such tremendous pressure from the Arab countries and threats and stuff that they, I think, um, backed off what appeared to be an initial commitment, though it's certainly not clear until it's done, to move their embassy as well.
0: I got that. Um, The news of the week, I guess, is that the United States and its president president trump has decided to withdraw from syria we're all concerned and wondering what this means for israel and security in general in the middle east so first of all your reaction to the decision by the president uh...
1: look i I think on the on the surface at least unless there's information we don't know and certainly that's uh, usually the case uh... it's a very surprising decision certainly caught his own team off guard the fact that uh, Pompeo, the Secretary of State; that uh, John Bolton, the National Security Advisor; the, the Secretary of Defense, and all of them opposed this decision. I think the the uh, reaction in much of the world of opposition, even in places that you would not expect it, like uh, Holland, and, um, uh, that uh, the Germans said uh, they they were not aware of the decision. That people, um, the analysts across the board, uh, generally, with the exception of Turkey which came out in favor russia which initially came out in favor now expresses confusion uh, about the decision uh... isis is certainly not dead uh... it is true that they don't that the area that they had occupied is um, is more limited now uh... but there, there's reports even today of of a, a isis attack which took many lives and um, uh they are certainly along the border we know that in in the last two months they executed uh, hundreds of people in, in the area in eastern syria and that they have they're holding about 1400 civilians along in positions along the uh iraqi uh, uh, border the um so the the implications of this are are very great what happens to the kurds do they go with the russians do they you know um make a deal with turkey does turkey go in and and have freedom now to to wipe out as much as they uh as they can and sorry that's, there's an alert i guess about the the flooding oh good um right. so uh i mean there's a lot of questions that are um that are raised by this action and, and a lot of concerns in terms of uh, w- what this will mean uh, is for Israel, what it will mean for the the future in terms of does, does Iran and um, maybe Turkey become more dominant, more active, take a greater role in, in, um, in Syria. What does this do for the area where the U S was, uh, which helped block the trans country country, um, Corridor that Iran was building from Tehran through Iraq, Syria, and and Beirut to the Mediterranean. Uh, will will uh, Iran be able to ship weapons to Hezbollah more freely if the U.S. isn't there? And we don't know. Will the U.S. increase perhaps its air presence if we withdraw troops? Will they, you know, have new technologies that they will put in place that will help? it? certainly, and will send shivers to the Kurds and and how others in the Gulf, for instance, react, uh, let alone Israel. Uh, The prime minister did speak to the president and said that, uh, you know, that the United States would still back Israel's actions in Syria. But if you're not there, it's very hard to to back it. Uh, I think they're putting the best face on on a situation. Again, we don't know all all the details and... um, I don't think people have to necessarily uh, uh, panic. It depends on what the U.S., what what understandings with Erdogan. Uh, is there a deal with them of some kind um, that uh, the United States is selling them uh, a $3.5 billion U.S. Patriot system? Will they still buy the S-400 and talk about allowing the F-35 aircraft deal to Turkey to go ahead? Does this compromise the, the secret Parts of the F thirty five, if if it's in conjunction with the S four hundred air defense system, there are so many complicating factors and so many questions here, and uh, most of them are not good questions, uh, very honestly, and we we have to see what uh, ultimately what the arrangement is. You know, that we often see that announcements are made and then uh, qualified or defined in ways that uh, are not as draconian as as this appears to be. Implications, but it certainly raises a lot of concerns on the part of our allies, and, and um, you know the definition of what what this defines in terms of the future. Uh, how, whether people will have confidence, will, will you know? They say that you can't rely then on, on an American word. These are all important issues because they have real world. Consequences. Well,
0: now that you've uh, now that you've warned us that most of the questions ain't good, I got to be careful what I ask. But uh, to, the, to the average person like myself who does not understand the significant quantity, not quality, for a minute, but quantity of the American presence in Syria, how would you describe it? In other words, I understand that there's a key strategic position that the United States is playing there, especially as you just described it in terms of Iran, Iranian expansion, Iranian, uh, you know, uh, uh, travel and and accessibility. Through the area and the dream that they have of making that even more accessible for them, but what about quantity? Is it a very large presence?
1: The U.S. presence was uh, two thousand people, but it's the it was the physical presence that was uh, a deterrent to Iraq to Turkey going after the Kurds. Uh, we don't know what will the Kurds in Turk in Iraq do now. What will the Kurds? Uh, will they will they align themselves with Russia? Will they say you know we, we can't rely on the U.S. We have to move because for them this is existential in, in many respects. Um, and the uh, and the number it, it, it was not a, as significant as the symbolism and the importance of the presence and the training right. uh, that they provided to the to the Kurds uh, who who are the leading force in in, um, in fighting ISIS. Uh, but to, to the idea that ISIS is, is will disappear. The fact is that they will take advantage of the uh, vacuum again, wherever the, it is. Uh, and there's an estimate that there could be, you know, tens of thousands still of, of ISIS fighters, even though dispersed and not holding on to the specific area of territory uh, as before. And the Look, o- it's always attractive to to bring troops home, and nobody right. wants to see Americans especially in harm's way, especially this time of year. Yes, I here, but all the time, I mean, right. it's a very popular call, and right. you know, Rand Paul has been advocating this, and maybe his influence has become outsized, which would not be a good thing. But the, when, especially when you have the lineup of very capable and experienced people coming out against it,
0: uh, and and in terms of the president, the only significant reason he gave is that ISIS is dead, right? That was the that was the primary reason he gave for for
1: so one has to think that maybe the president as some analysts have said is looking ahead to the to 2020 and trying to fulfill his campaign promises one of which was to bring the troops home he's also bringing them back from afghanistan um and we again, as I said, everybody wants to see the troops come home. The question is under what circumstances, what conditions and what the consequences will be leaving Syria to to. I mean, the Russians obviously celebrate this and and no take advantage of every uh, opportunity,
0: no matter what they say. They're thrilled with this. Right. Uh,
1: of course, they're they're right. happy with it in a sense, uh, but they don't want to see Iran become dominant in right. in Syria either and the russians have made no commitment of, of manpower they have air power there and limited at that so if the united states can it will still maintain an air presence air power presence or ability to provide air cover then that obviously would be uh, uh would, would be significant uh, uh, and help uh, uh, mitigate against the the potential uh, erdoğan is not the most reliable ally for the United States to to rely on to and we don't know what was what the conversations between the president and mister Erdogan yielded we will know in time obviously Uh, but it it would be very troubling if uh, if some sort of a grand bargain was signed that would enable a member of NATO to keep uh, the Russian S-400 system Uh, in play, which is uh, very compromising, or uh, they they supplanted with the $3.5 million U.S. uh, uh, system. But at the same day, Erdogan was meeting with the Iranian leaders, it was Rouhani, and they announced $30 billion in a joint goal for economic cooperation and uh, economic um, for trade. Uh, and, And in the meantime, Zarif was announcing that the United States finally came to its census not his exact words, but essentially, and adopted Iran's plan for uh, for, the, uh, for Syria, meaning that that they're taking credit for this uh, for the withdrawal.
0: Right. Well, <laughs> well, I would assume that they've likely suggested it many times <laughs> that the U.S. should get out.
1: Of course, they, they press for it all the time, <laughs> and, but uh, so is Turkey, and you know, and leaving the the Kurds vulnerable w- would be a uh, Terrible thing, and they have proven themselves as the best fighters right. in uh, in the Syrian war.
0: Even with the limited capability, if if one would describe you know Russian capability in that way, uh, when it comes to Iran, they could fill that void, right? They could, it, with Syrian permission, they could fill that void of, of blocking Iran, Iran and its expansion influence in the area. No, they won't. They would not do it, even if Syria. No, they haven't,
1: and they they have because... limited some Iranian presence. Um, and cooperated with israel, although it 's a little diminished since the the incidents that uh, took right. place several months ago uh, but but Iran, but russia does not want to invest russia 's economy is in free fall, so is turkey, and so is so is that of turkey and and of Iran by the way, but all of them uh, the expenditures that are involved that 's why Moscow uh, has to be given credit because they took a uh, little investment and made a lot out of it and become the dominant force in in uh, Syria. Uh, Iran uh, diverts the money that it should be using to feed its people, and and uh, still carries out the adventurism, uh, continuing to to support Hezbollah, and we saw the development. And it's not unrelated. You know, the the people tend to deal with each issue, and while it's far apart and it doesn't involve Hezbollah directly, it does affect it indirectly, and the information of a fourth tunnel that was found the information of that parallel to it were whole underground networks of armed caches and and um uh, facilities that were um uh um, that are being used for military purposes in southern Lebanon, and that the information we gave to UNIFIL, that Israel gave to UNIFIL, about the Hezbollah tunnels ended up with Hezbollah. It went to the Lebanese forces and then through them to Hezbollah, which means that undermines the confidence that they can have in even providing the information. Uh, the Hezbollah did close the. What I talked about last week, that precision missile plant in Lebanon, where they're upgrading the missiles with uh, much more um, accurate guidance systems, which is a real threat to Israel. And these sites were near the Beirut uh, airport uh, and underground uh, sites for the conversion of these missiles. So maybe they've done several hundred uh, of the 120,000 or some say even few, maybe even uh, fewer, even a few dozen. But the fact is that, that we've had this uh, um, development. The Hezbollah today is much stronger than it was in the last war. They have perhaps 45,000 uh, fighters, according to the IDF estimates, which is more than double over the past um, 10 years, 12 years. The rockets, of course, went from 13,000 to 120,000 in in a similar period. The in 2006, when Hezbollah fired 3,500 rockets, as you, everybody I hope remembers, at Israel, yep. it can now fire 1,200 a day, meaning that they can fire the same what they did in 34 days then, in three days now. I mean, these are are, are uh, quantitative changes in, um, and and nobody can argue today because even the UN, in its asinine way, declared that the uh, tunnels. Crossed into Israel, violate the Security Council resolution, and violate Israel's international border. Uh, Hezbollah was trying to close its attack; uh, the, the, these attack tunnels. And remember, now five, meaning that they were going to attack in five different places, was the was the was the uh, the goal of of, uh, uh, of the tunnels. So the Security Council met yesterday and couldn't even summon the courage, despite statements even from Sweden and Holland. To condemn Hezbollah on the tunnels that they passed on the action, so the bias and Nikki Haley's speech yesterday really uh, tore them, uh, uh, tore into all of these guys and and um, and pointed out that the problems in the region have nothing to do with the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, and that applies to what happened with the, the Syrians and with uh, what happens in Syria and what's happening in so much of the region that the UN is biased it just can't get uh, overcome no matter how blatant or or clear the issue is and for israel it, it's a reminder that it has to be strong on its own it has to have the ability to protect itself that we can have great allies and great friends and certainly the United states is uh, and uh, you know that even the bill that was supposed to provide the ten year mou uh, was not passed by Congress it didn't get through rand Paul has been holding it up. And it appears that they're going to have to start all over again in the next session it's a question i've gotten from several people, so that 's the latest update that it 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 will be have to go to the um, to the next session
0: and that has not happened in in any it, it, that has not happened in how many years
1: well, it has happened in the past you know where people, but, but it's leveraged not because of Israel although in this case it's it's partly uh, because of israel people, senators in the Senate an individual senator can hold it up and and this was passed overwhelmingly by both houses uh and uh supported by both and it's just him he holding it up for his purposes it's often can be held up over appointments it can be held up over other issues where where senators uh leverage the power they have in the house you can't do that uh, but, yes, we're going to have to start all over again, so, and uh, God willing, it'll pass in the next session.
0: America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program heard on listeners sponsored digital radio, around the world and the web, at com on the NachumSiegel Network, and, of course, on the beloved NSN app. Support us and keep our programming going by going to fjbunity.org, fjbunity.org. And we recommend that before the end of the year, you join Our 2018 campaign, fjbunity.org. Two notes on on the Israel angle. So first of all, I mean, you just said it, but to reiterate, uh, the prime minister has, of course, declared that we're essentially, I'm not quoting, we don't rely on anybody. If Israel needs to defend itself, it will, in fact, defend itself and will move forward and do what's necessary in order to protect the people of Israel, right? That's basically the attitude of Prime Minister Netanyahu after the American announcement, Correct. And
1: and his talk with the president, and of course, it's what he has to say. I mean, you're right. uh, not going to say we're not going to defend ourselves. We're going to continue to carry out attacks. They, they have to. They have to have freedom of movement, even though it seems to be, and my discussions with some officials uh, seem to confirm that they are more limited than what it was uh, before You know, the incident with Russia and uh, that it is uh, that US presence and US backing is is all very important but if our allies in the gulf and if others in the region and if the uh, forces in, in Syria feel more emboldened and the others feel our allies feel weakened by this and and question the commitments uh, made uh, this all has dramatic impact on the, on the whole region and certainly on Israel
0: and with what you just described to us a couple of minutes ago regarding what's happening up north and the difference and the vast uh, difference in power that Hezbollah has, potential, let's call it, that Hezbollah has compared to 2006, I mean, are there are there people in the Israeli cabinet in Prime Minister Netanyahu's ear demanding a preemptive strike, demanding that the buildup is so great compared to, compared to what we've seen in the past, which was, of course, a horrific situation that there's got to be some type of preemptive strike uh, by Israel or or they're going to be behind the eight ball if Hezbollah starts up?
1: Well, Israel has new technologies and has taken preemptive steps along the border. We have certainly had a buildup and people who visited Israel uh, have seen it and uh, note uh, Israel's ability to detect these uh, these tunnels was a big setback for Hezbollah's plans. The fact that they closed that plant that I mentioned uh, obviously means that they know that Israel was going to take it out and whether in fact it's closed permanently, we'll find out in time. Uh, but yes, this is um, Israel faces a different situation, and often people criticize the prime minister why he didn't do more in the south. It's because he has to balance it also with the concerns in the north, and two front war would be very uh, difficult. And with the ability of Iran now with with the Hezbollah under under Iranian uh, guidance to to um, To do damage, you know. I I just wanted to understand how strong the the role of Iran and Hezbollah. When people say the question, you know, does Iran really, other than supplying weapons, first of all, they're supplying weapons by land and by air, and continue to provide funding, even if it's more restricted than what it was. But you know that Hassan Nasrallah, the head of of Hezbollah's first title, is that a personal representative of Khamenei in Lebanon? Uh not that of Hezbollah's secretary general to me that little tidbit was so important in such a statement about uh you know the reality of what we're dealing with and the hezbollah's leadership is totally under the authority or subject to the authority of of iran's leaders and, and others and uh, this has been increasingly recognized we know that it, it is the case uh, whether they, they, what will happen if there's a conflict and when Iran decides that a conflict is in their interest, they don't want to see their huge investment uh, destroyed by an Israeli preemptive strike based right. on information that he, that Hezbollah is going to move. Uh, I think Israel has demonstrated uh, incredible restraint in finding, finding these tunnels and now working to, to eliminate them. It's, people will say, why don't they just blow them up? Because it's it's much more complicated than that. These are... You know infrastructures. You've seen the pictures in in uh, Gaza. Well, here they're built through rock. In in Gaza, you're, you're digging mostly through sand, and it's it's an easier um, it's easier to do. Here they had a it, it's on a mountain or approaching a mountain, and therefore had to be had to go through solid rock, which is a much bigger undertaking.
0: Unbelievable. The enemy is very creative. It's just
1: amazing. Um... And people ask also, well, why didn't they just see it? You know, they have satellites; they do see it. They saw it when trucks move. But here, you had one that began in a, in a cement factory, another that began in someone's home, uh, and often it's just cover. You know, there's cover from the neighborhood or whatever, and it's hard to know whether somebody is getting a furniture delivery or or getting missiles. Uh, so hard to track, but they do track all of it. They know. That one out of every three houses has a missile in, in placement in southern
0: Lebanon. Got it. All right. So this admission, somewhat public admission of the connection with Hezbollah and Iran. Um, how does this story about the the fear in Iran among its leaders of a possible overthrow play into this? Because I would think, if in fact they were worried about actually being overthrown, uh, they'd become more desperate, and God forbid, you know, try to start up with Israel. Uh, from the northern area. Uh, so first of all, what's the what's the likelihood of a, of a serious threat to their government at this point?
1: Uh, I think it's serious, and I think if the West would do more to support the elements inside Iran, it would make a very significant difference. The economic conditions, as I said, uh, are, are driving this. Uh, by the way, for Erdogan too, and he faces uh, municipal elections in, I think in March uh, of next year of 2019. And they're very worried because the opposition has finally coalesced. Which, if they had done in the last election, they might have beaten him. And his popularity is down because the economic conditions are are terrible. Unemployment is high, so this could be um, very serious for him. Uh, but for for Iran, the the involvement in Gaza and in. Uh, Lebanon is very unpopular amongst the people. If you remember the demonstrations, they were yelling, we will not die for Gaza, we will not die for Hezbollah, we will die for Iran, and call for death to the dictator in the last one as well. But this has long been the cry, and people see that, that the is half of it is in a drought. The tourism, everything is down to, at the sanctions. The U.S. are working and even if the Europeans try to do bypasses, all the major companies have pulled out. There are about a 1,000 European companies still doing business, but they're small. Uh, mostly half of them in chemicals, which should send shivers up everybody's back. Uh, and about a third in equipment and machinery. So the, for for uh, Iran, the, the involvement in, in this, they can try to – uh, you know, think that they have an ideological victory, but the fact is, for the people and including many of the leadership, this is not this is adventurism, which they don't uh, really uh, see as a priority right now. The, the, and Khamenei uh, has to be concerned about the internal uh, situation. Ahmed and Ejad called for Rouhani to 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 step down this week, uh, and, and there's been a rivalry, but I think that they're they're taking advantage of it. So you have. Uh, opposition from the extremes, uh, the extreme, I guess, right he would be, uh, but also amongst uh, the population. Is he
0: influential so, anymore, Ahmadinejad? Is he influential
1: anymore, John? He has a following amongst security forces and elsewhere, but no, he's not. I wouldn't say he's a, a candidate for to, to come back, but he, he would like to be. Right. But he, I don't think he has that big a, a base, and he wasn't a great success either, Um uh, but uh you know the the um uh, involvements and the the level of of uh, of iran's uh, both domestic suppression and activities outside the fact is that they're still building abroad uh, and investing outside the 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 Turks uh, as well Turkey just building a big center in Caracas, Venezuela. He took over a huge center, which was supposed to be a mosque, but in fact, it's going to be much more than that. And it's part of his expansionist designs, building thousands and thousands of mosques around the world, which he controls and uh, with and sends the message every Friday is an Islamist, a uh, Muslim Brotherhood message.
0: Hard to control these places thousands of miles away. I think history has proven that
1: it's not so hard when you have a network like the, the Iranians have, perhaps fifty thousand agents in South America. They have considerable training camps. They have a presence. The, the Turks uh, competing with them and and have bases also uh, in many places, from Syria to Sudan to Afghanistan. Uh, in the case of Turkey, both of them are in Qatar. Iran has uh, also and and this is ideological, you know, where they go in to spread their ideology or or for economic uh, reasons, but mostly supporting uh, Islamist groups in Africa and elsewhere so it's it's a global hegemony that they both seek and they are competing for uh, and there are others the Wahhabis, who are also seeking uh, regional and global hegemony
0: a couple of things i gotta ask you about do you have any any clarity on this airbnb it seems every day you know we hear that they've eliminated their policy there then we find out no their policy really is still is still in effect any any update that could uh, bring any clarity to this for us
1: That is the update. (laughs) It's it's completely confusing. (laughs) they went to – I I met with – they came to my office. I met with them. Um, I I can't say that we made much progress. We at least explained what this will entail and why this is uh, such a serious decision and why we cannot let it stand, even if not for Airbnb's purposes, but because of the precedent that it sets for other companies, that Airbnb, as a business decision, should be reviewing it let alone on a legal basis, where we believe it's discriminatory, and there will be lawsuits, and uh, um, and some already have been filed. But they're planning an IPO, public offering, in the spring. The states that have anti-boycott laws will not invest. We know that um, uh, Tom DiNapoli uh, issued a very strong letter, and and other states are are looking at it. That Florida has already, Illinois has said that they wouldn't invest, and than state employees not using Airbnb. And and I think the popular uh, response uh, to it has to be very strong. And they have to get just on the business uh, aspect uh, message, let alone on a moral grounds and the fact that it's a discriminatory measure picking out one area in the world where where they uh, take such a message. I think they did, after the sanctions against Crimea, do the same. But here, the the symbolism is greater, and you can take all the disputed territories in the world and find they're not pulling out of those. Let's say that they're reviewed. They sent a delegation to Israel, and after a meeting with the minister of tourism, he came out and he said something to the effect that they're changing their policy. Right. Uh, and in fact, that was not the case. And there are those who rushed to media to take credit that they're the ones responsible for it. When in fact, they have not changed the policy. They did say that they're going to invest more in Israel and that they're against BDS, and their decision isn't BDS. It's uh, because they didn't pull out of Jerusalem or out of the Golan Heights. Uh, and that they're going to invest more. And the this official from uh, Airbnb went to visit in uh, in the northern in, um, uh... But frankly, the, the decision is, is cannot stand because of the precedent that it sets, and because it's a victory for uh, Sibarikhas, who put a lot of pressure. But the BDS movement and look at their statements, and it tells you whether this is or is not seen by them as as that kind of. uh of a victory
0: what a confusing situation and frankly and and lastly rather um what was it in fact a terrorist exchanged in the gilat shalit deal who was responsible for the ofra shooting yes that's what it appears wow and i hate to you know emphasize that and i'm you know I, i i know what that deal obviously meant to the shalit family but we spoke about this at that time for weeks maybe months uh, before that deal was made and if there was one thing that uh, you were convinced about was that uh, we would see unfortunately disasters from those who were traded uh for him but you know
1: like the I the s- recidivism is is clear and while Israel takes actions and uh, to try and make sure that those uh who are involved in these things um you know are held uh, are watched or held to account when you have such a large number it's inevitable that you're going to have um, those who return to, to terrorism. And unfortunately, we have seen it in many cases.
0: Yeah, no doubt. All right, I thank you. I assume we are on for next week. Have God, a God maz, willing. mazal tov to you again. Have a wonderful Shabbos, and we'll speak again next week. Yes, thank Malcolm, you very much, and Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. Malcolm Honline is executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations, joins us Fridays for the weekly update here at JM. In the AM, reminder, if you enjoy these conversations, if you enjoy our unique programming every single day, all day, give as generously as you can to fjbunity.org. It is coming to the end of 2018. Uh, We basically have two ends of our campaign each year, the fiscal year at the end of June when we ask you to uh, to join us in the regular campaign, and then those who have not yet given in 2018, we ask you to join us before the year comes to an end. So please give us, and, and there are those, by the way, who give more than once a year, who do in fact give twice, and we appreciate that. So please go to uh, fjbunity.org, FJB, Foundation for Jewish Broadcasting, fjbunity.org. Give as generously as you can and keep our programming going.